Chapter Fifteen of the Brand of Silence. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Brand of Silence by Harrington Strong. Chapter Fifteen. A Moment of Violence. Sidney Prale turned around and walked back along the street to the park, Murk once more following at a short distance, as he had been ordered to do. Because he wanted to think of his predicament, Prale crossed into the park and began following one of the paths toward the south, making his way along it slowly, paying little attention to the persons he passed now and then. He crossed a drive and followed another path, and now he came to a secluded spot where the path was hidden from passers-by on the other walks and drives. Here the way ran through a tiny gulch, the sides of which were banked with bushes. Squirrels scampered and birds chattered at him, but Prale saw none of them. He was trying to explain to himself why Kate Gilbert had warned him to leave New York, why she had interested herself in his affairs at all asking himself for the thousandth time what species of net it was in which he suddenly had found himself enmeshed, without knowing the reason for it. He had demanded information, and it had not been given him. She had said nothing at all that gave him an inkling as to the nature of what seemed to be a plot against him. He had been as firm as he dared, he told himself. A man could not threaten a woman could not use violence in an attempt to make her speak and reveal secrets. "'We'll have to work from another corner,' Sidney Prale told himself. "'I can't threaten a woman, but I can pummel a man. And if I meet George Lurton again, I'm liable to forget what Jim Farland told me and use my own methods.' He walked on through the tiny ravine. He came to a cross-path, and a man lurched down it and against him. "'Beg pardon,' Prale murmured. "'Wonder you wouldn't look where you're going,' the other exclaimed. "'Got an idea you own the whole park or something like that? Men like you shouldn't be running around loose.' "'You ran into me, not I into you,' Prale reminded him. As he spoke, he looked at the other closely. He saw a gigantic man who had the general appearance of a thug, whose chin was thrust forward aggressively, and whose hands were opening and closing as if he wished they were around Sidney Prale's throat. "'I've a notion to smash you one,' the fellow said, advancing toward Prale a bit. Prale's temper flamed at once. His own chin was shot forward and his own hands closed. "'If that is the way you feel about it, start in,' Prale said. "'Perhaps I can teach you to act decently and keep a civil tongue in your head.' The man before him made no comment. He simply launched himself forward like a thunderbolt. Sidney Prale darted quickly to one side and tossed his hat and stick on the ground. He did not have time to get off his coat. He could not even remove his gloves.' The other, missing him in that first rush, turned and came back, swinging his fists. Prale did not dart aside now. He put himself on guard, braced himself against the side of the little gulch, and waited for the attack. 
They clashed, and Prale knew that he had a real fight on his hands, for the man who had attacked him was no mean antagonist. But after the first real clash, Prale had no fear of the outcome. The man was brutal, but he had no skill. He delivered blows that would have felled anyone, but they did not reach their objective. Then a second man crashed down through the brush and joined in the attack. Sidney Prale realized in that moment that the attack had been premeditated and the fight forced upon him purposely. It fed fuel to the flames of his wrath. He did not know whether this was the work of some of his unknown enemies or whether these thugs were mere robbers intent upon getting his wallet and watch. It made little difference to him which they were. With his back against the side of the gulch, he fought with what skill he could, trying to stand off both of them. The attack had come with a rush, and all this had occupied but a few seconds. Presently a human whirlwind appeared and took part in the battle. There was an angry roar from a human throat, a raucous curse, a rushing body, the thuds of swift, hard blows. Mr. Merck had reached the scene. The battle immediately became twofold. Merck fought as these thugs fought, disregarding the finer rules of combat, seeking only to put his opponent out, no matter by what means. Merck was not unaccustomed to fighting of that character, and he was doubly formidable now, for he was angry at the attack on Sidney Prale. Merck had been too far away to hear what had been said when the trouble started, but he had seen, and he guessed immediately that some of Sidney Prale's enemies were engaged in the attempt. Merck went after his opponent with determination, if not with skill. He fought him down the path, and there the fellow rallied from the surprise and rushed back. But Merck was not the sort to give ground. In a fight, a man should stand up to another until one of them was whipped, Merck thought. He knew how to give blows, but not how to guard against them. He was marked, and marked well, before the battle was a minute old, but he had the satisfaction of seeing blood on the face of his antagonist. Foot to foot they stood and hammered each other, and gradually Merck began wearing the other man down. As for Sidney Prale, now that he had but the one thug against him, he fought with skill and cunning, knowing that the other was a bit the stronger, but realizing that he would be victor if he used reasonable care. His flare of anger had passed, and now he was fighting like a clever pugilist. He warded off the other's powerful blows, and now and then he slipped beneath a guard, or smashed his way through one, and sent home a blow of his own. At the end of three minutes, the thugs were getting much the worst of it. Gradually, they were being fought back toward the nearest driveway. Back and back they went, but did not turn and run. Sidney Prale sensed that they were fighting for money, that they were being paid for this attack, and he realized that, but for the presence of Merck, he would have had no chance whatever and probably would be a senseless, bleeding thing now. None of them knew that the fight had attracted attention, but it had. Two women, coming around a curve in the path, 
had seen it, and had run back toward the nearest driveway, screeching. Two mounted policemen hurried toward them, heard the story, and charged down the path. The two thugs made no effort to escape. They stopped fighting, and Prale and Murk ceased also, though the latter was eager to continue until a decision had been rendered. Murk had fought often where there was no interference, and he disliked to be bothered now, but he desisted at Prale's command. "'Well, what's all this about?' one of the officers demanded. He did not address any of them particularly. "'I was walking along the path and these men attacked me,' Sidney Prale said. "'My valet was a short distance behind and he came to my assistance. I never saw these fellows before.' "'Nothing like it,' one of the thugs snarled. "'Me and my pal were walking along this path and met these men.' and the one with the stick ordered us out of the way as if we were dogs. When we didn't move quick enough, they jumped into us. "'That's a lie,' Murk began. "'You can settle this at the station,' the officer replied. "'All of you are coming along with us.' Prale picked up his hat and stick, took off his torn gloves and threw them away, and motioned for Murk to walk at his side and to keep quiet. They went to the driveway, and along it, the policemen watching the four of them closely, the thugs growling to each other and remarking that it was a fine day when honest working men could not stroll in Central Park without a dude and his valet trying to beat them up. There was a short wait when the station was reached, and then, at the lieutenant's command, one of the thugs poured forth his story. He gave his name and address, as did the other and both made the statement that they were out of work at present. Prale stepped forward and gave his name. The lieutenant stared at him in surprise. "'Why, it's the guy who croaked that man Shepley!' one of the thugs cried. "'There ought to be a way of stopping him running around and assaulting and killing folks. If it hadn't been for the cops—' "'Shut up!' Sidney Prale commanded loudly, ignoring the presence of the officers. "'You fellows made a deliberate attack on me, and you know it. And I want to know who paid you to do it, understand?' "'You're crazy,' said one of the thugs. Prale turned to the lieutenant. "'I'd like to have Jim Farland sent for,' he said. "'He has been handling things for me. I want him to investigate these men.' I have an idea that the names and addresses they gave are fictitious. Recently, enemies of mine have caused me considerable trouble, and I feel sure that these men were hired to attack me. Fortunately, my valet was walking a short distance behind me, and rushed up and helped me hold them off. I'm ready to put up bail, and so is my pal, said one of the thugs angrily. "'In that case, I'll have to let you go for the present,' the lieutenant said. "'The charge is fighting and disorderly conduct, and bail will be one hundred dollars in each case. "'You may use the telephone if you wish, Mr. Prale.' Prale hurried to the telephone, called Jim Farland's office, and was informed that Farland had not been there, 
and that the girl in charge did not know where he was, or what he was doing, or when he would return. Prale left instructions for Farland and went back to the desk. "'This is a serious business, though it may not look like it on the face,' he said. "'I'd like to have these men held until we can make sure they have given correct names and addresses.' "'No use holding them if they have given bail,' the lieutenant replied. "'I think it's nothing but a regular scrap. You can talk to the judge later, all of you.' Prale took a roll of bills from his pocket and put up cash bail for both Murk and himself. One of the thugs followed suit and, pulling out a roll of bills, stripped off two hundred dollars and arranged for the release of himself and his partner. "'You seem to have a lot of money for men who are out of work,' Prale said. "'Been saving it, and it's none of your business anyway,' growled the other. They started toward the door, and Prale and Murk followed them, watched them until they started away, and then turned back to bathe their faces and hands. Then Prale got a taxicab and drove to the office of a physician, who did his best to make the countenances of Prale and Murk presentable. It was an hour later when Jim Farland called Prale by telephone at the hotel. "'I've investigated that little matter, Sid,' he reported. "'Those fellows gave fictitious addresses, as you supposed they had done, "'and it is an even bet that the names they gave were fictitious, too. "'No doubt about it, Sid. They were hired to get you. "'You'd better be on guard and a bit careful.'" End of chapter 15 Recording by Roger Moline